let's segue into it then. Uh, do you, yeah. uh, tell, us, tell us who you guys are and, and name of your company and, and what you do. So I'm Terrence Musto. Everybody calls me T. Um, I own Fabro Industries in Voorheesville, New York, and we are a metal fabrication, prototyping, research and development company. And gentleman to my left is Bob Manis here. Bob? I don't even have to talk. Look at That's that. That's nice. I'll do it for you too. This is Bob yeah, Manis here. People do it for you. It's, <laughs> it's pretty good. No, Bob Manis here. I spent my whole life starting companies around the globe. Uh, CEO of IFP Films, InFocus Brands, EDA Funding, and a few uh, others. But we spend most of our time being white label deployed teams around the world for people to start, grow, scale, or exit their companies. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's okay. And I got to tell you, I'm trying to figure, you look so familiar. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Right? Yeah. Are you like Insta famous or like famous? Like we, Just on the post office just on wall. The, uh, <laughs> He's not even on Instagram. I am a rec commissioner in Saratoga, so. I mean, maybe okay. that's it. Yeah, I, I was like, when he walked in, I was like, man, I'm like, wow, he looks familiar. I can't figure out where. You've got one of those like Hollywood faces, though, you know. It's, well. A face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> You did own a film studio. I mean, you still own a film studio. Yeah, but I don't put myself in front of the camera. <laughs> That's the key. I mean, that oh, everything that you guys just said sounds really fast. Like, I have 700 questions now. Like, I, <laughs> We have like, no answers. That That's, That's good. Good. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> no, <laughs> and thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, oh, we never did the show intro. We just got right into it, didn't we? Yeah, we're just so excited to jump Man. Right in. We're not even going to do the show. The hell with the yeah, intro. We're, we're in it now. We're in it. We're yeah. deep. We'll, we'll like we'll record. We'll fix it in post. I had questions That's, for you. So oh, oh nice. I right. always when we started working together on this kind of new joint venture that we're doing. Um, I knew that Bob. We'd worked together for years before this on things, and then we've you know we'll get into why we came together. But um, this is a side side story. Knowing that Bob was from film when he came and, and we'll shoot stuff, and he comes with like a professional film crew yeah and i'm there with like my iphone yeah you know, doing right. stuff for instagram whatever um and so he comes they got lights and all this stuff and he's like yeah we gotta do this and that and i said i'm pretty sure you can just fix it in post and he was like do you know what fix it in post means i said i got no idea i said but i hear people say it a lot oh, so yeah. let's just, i said let's just roll it let's strike the set we'll fix it in post and he was like you got no clue what you're talking about <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> i um, might not have been that kind either yeah. but, but, but. <laughs> for sure not. that's funny I used to have a, a guy that worked with us, Todd, and I, all the time I would be like, same thing. I'd be like, oh, dude, let's just fix that and post. And he would look at me like, no, <laughs> we need to get it in the camera now and then make the our life post-production a lot easier. I'm like... Yeah, but it sounds like so much work, man. Like <laughs> that's what he was thinking. Yeah, that, right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I was like, it's a lot of work for somebody else later. It's right, not a lot right, of work right. For me right now. For me right now. Yeah, like, come 100%. on, man. That's hilarious. So, so tell us a little bit about Fabro, because like, just tell us before I butcher the question. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> Make me look good. <laughs> so, great question. Thank you for the question. You're welcome. Um, but so. I mean, we basically, start, so my background is in as a custom motorcycle builder. So, you know, I went to school for business. I got my degree in business concentration in finance, worked in that for a minute. It wasn't 100% for me. Um, and I had been kind of tinkering and just fell in love with motorcycles. And we're talking like 2008. I mean, I graduated college 2010. So choppers were still a thing and they were hot and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I was just kind of like, man, I think I can do that. Like... No reason why I should. My dad's a doctor. My mom's a sister principal of a all-girls high school. Um, but there was just something in me that I was like, man. I, so I started tinkering. I did stuff in their garage on weekends, and I just fell in love with it. And then after, so I built a chopper in their garage. And then after college, I was like, I think I'm going to do this. And I told them, and they were like, uh, do you have a better plan than that? <laughs> and I was like, no, right. I'm pretty much all in on this. And they were like, well, you've only really built the one motorcycle, so what What now? And I was like, I'm going to start a business, and I'm going to get after it. So I started a company. Um, I actually sold a bike, a custom build to somebody, and rented a shop, and moved in, and started the project, and realized real fast I had no idea what I was doing. Nice. And there was like the real pressure of, oh, this isn't this isn't just for fun anymore. Like someone's giving me money. Mm -hmm. I, I have a, a duty to them to deliver. Um, and so I actually canceled the contract, shut the entire business down and looked for apprenticeships. 
And I was like, if I'm going to do this and be serious about it, I got to learn not just the craft, not just to become kind of a master of the craft, but I got to learn about the industry. I got to learn about- Good for you, man. Yeah, thanks. So how do people make money? How do they lose money? What are the distribution channels? I mean, even basic stuff like where do you get supplies from? You know, because you can go to Lowe's, but you're paying, you know- way over the top of what you should be for, you know, for things like grinding discs, cutting discs, all that kind of stuff. Um, I hear they build subs now with stuff from Lowe's. Yeah. Really? <laughs> there's some, there's you some stuff, there's some Too stuff soon. on, uh, on Tesla's bill of materials that, uh, is from, that comes from Lowe's, that comes Lowe's from Home and Home Depot. Depot. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I reached out to like, man, I think like 25 or 30 different shops, um, two responded. And I was like, I will sweep the floors. I will work for free if I can come in. Um, I interviewed with one and they were like, nah, this ain't going to work. Um, and then I met this guy. His name is uh, Mike Cole, Copper Mike down on Long Island. He had been on Discovery Channel a couple times and all this stuff. And he was basically like, all right, be here at six in the morning and we'll talk. And like, I'm in Albany. He's in Long Island. So you're talking at least four and a half hour drive. Yeah. Um, so I show up. I Did you go there. the night before and sleep in your car? No, man. I, I went that morning um, and I rolled in and, and uh, we just like hit it off immediately. Like just like we had known each other forever. Yeah. And so he was like, all right, you can start Monday. So that was like a Friday. So I went home and luck- I was very fortunate that my parents are from Brooklyn. So my grandparents still live there. My uncle. Oh, nice. And so they were like, you can come crash with us while you kind of figure this out, while you work for free, which none of them understood. Um, but, <laughs> it's a tough sell. But, yeah, it's it's a yeah. tough. I mean, the apprenticeship in general is kind of a lost art of what an apprentice is. I mean, like tattoo apprentices, they pay the mentor to do the apprenticeship, mm-hmm. and it's not cheap usually because they know like you're going to be pretty much a pain in my a thorn in my side yeah. um, while I teach you this craft that I've spent my whole life learning. But um, so I didn't have to pay, but. Um, and I'll be honest, pretty shortly after, cause I went down and I had some equipment and stuff like that. So I brought the equipment with me. So he saw some real value in what I brought and pretty shortly after starting, he started kicking me a little bit of cat. And when I say a little bit, I mean like a hundred, 200 bucks a week. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was, it wasn't nothing, you know? And so I, and I lived for free with my grandparents yeah. and then eventually moved out to Long Island and I, I wound up becoming his, uh, like lead foreman, lead fabricator, and kind of helped him run the shop. And I was there for like a little bit over two years, two and a half years um, before I moved back up here. And so when you say fabricator, explain to me what that means. Yeah. So a fabricator is generally when it's referred to, it it means metal. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's someone who can take something from idea to finished product. Um, working from a print or not from a print. So it's helpful if you can read blueprints and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, But it's basically we take a raw piece of material or many pieces of material and build you a finished item with it. Whatever that may be. Whatever it may be. You know, so it's usually welding, cutting, grinding, machining. Um, So machining, we usually mean like a lathe and a a mill, whether Mm -hmm. it's uh, computer controlled or manual, um, which we have both in my shop now. Uh, metal lathe metal lathe cnc mill um for doing three axis milling uh manual mill um we're mostly a tig welding shop okay um i actually had a couple certs i've worked as a certified welder for a couple years you know um what's the other one it's tig and mig mig the other one okay so one like it feeds wire automatically Mm -hmm. and one you feed the wire i like it's, it's on my list to learn yeah. how to weld. Yeah, I want to learn how to weld so bad. Come on down, man. There's your I new, will. There's yeah. your new apprentice. Yeah, man. Come on down. I'll come work for yeah. free. Yeah, please. Please do. <laughs> Just go to Home Depot and buy the equipment. <laughs> yeah, you don't need it, man. <laughs> Get a YouTube video. Um, yeah, that's all you need. You know, you start a YouTube channel, you're good to go. Um, but yeah, so, so that, I mean, so we would literally take, we would build you an entire motorcycle from the ground up. Um, every piece, every space or all that kind of stuff. But we also, we went to every show in the country. And so I learned pretty quickly, like the, the value proposition of going or not going to shows. And it's basically like, you know, so the, my big takeaway from that apprenticeship was you basically make money one of two ways in the industry. Mm -hmm. Either you're a service shop and every now and then you sell a custom build and that's great. 
Um, you're probably bolting on other people's parts, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, or you're a manufacturer of parts and the custom bikes are basically your catalog. So you build a custom bike with your frame, with your handlebar, mm-hmm. all stuff, and you use that to then go to shows and sell the parts so that you can go in your garage and install them. Yeah. Um, so after I finished apprenticing, I looked at that and I said, you know, where do I see myself in this world? And I was like, I'm not, it's not that I'm a bad mechanic, but it's not what I, it's not really my unique value. Mm-hmm. I, f- I believe I've been told by my mom that I'm a great fabricator. <laughs> so I, I looked at it and I said, you know, that's kind of, I want to be on the parts manufacturing side. Um, and then had this idea for this, this frame, um, this integrated suspension frame and kind of went down that rabbit hole and then got a couple patents and I've been developing that for, nice. for a few years and finally kind of sort of getting close to being able to make some money. On so it, do but. you, do you ride your own bike? I do. That is yeah. effing amazing. Yeah. That's, that's, Mike's, that's Mike's dream. <laughs> oh, oh my God. It's freaking amazing, man. I, that's, yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm here to help you with it. If you ever yeah. want to do it, man. Yeah, oh, man. I, it's funny. Cause I always said like, you know, it's, When I was starting, like if you went in, and and I'm not saying like when I was starting in the 60s, like when I was starting in the late 2000s, if you went into like a chopper shop or a motorcycle shop and you couldn't tell the difference between like different Harley models, like if you didn't know the difference between a panhead and a shovelhead, Mm -hmm. knucklehead, what year was the last year of the the shovelhead, like all that kind of stuff, they would throw a wrench at you and be like, get out. And, And they would throw a few other words in there too. Like it was, it's an intense. Like have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. Get out, have a nice day, come back whenever you want. And then I eventually found this guy in Long Island that was the opposite. Like he was very welcoming. Like, well, and if you think about it from a business perspective, like it's great if you're this hardcore biker guy and whatever, it's a horrible business model. Yeah. And especially if you're trying to get top dollar, the hardcore biker guys, they don't want to spend a dime. You know, they want you to do it because you love it and that's it. The people yeah. that have money expect a customer experience. So you, you got to kind of walk in both worlds. Um, so so I always said, you know, if I ever had my own shop, I would do whatever I could to help other people. And, you know, because even like I had questions and people would be like, all right, go figure it out. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to stand here and tell you how to cut axle spacers. Go figure it out. Right. Know? Um, and so like we've even, I've had my shop open technically for coming up on 10 years this May. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. It hasn't always been, hasn't always been my full-time gig, but for the past three-ish years it has been. Um, but you know, I've had people come in and be like, Hey, someone referred me. I have to take a weld cert and I've never welded aluminum before. And they'll come in and I'll work with them for three or four hours, you know, for free. And I'll work with them for three or four hours and then they'll go. That's cool, man. And stuff yeah. like that. So I try to be a resource when I can, you know. Um, so but, how, how long, Terry, did it take uh, before your parents were kind of like, okay, maybe he's on the, maybe he's on the something. What year is it now? <laughs> 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 it's been a minute. Um, I mean, listen, I'll be honest. That, so I went to school partially on a scholarship. So the other half I was on the hook for, and I was very fortunate that they agreed to pay that. Um, so when I told, and I graduated early, I graduated in three and a half years because um, I was in a big rush to start this life or whatever. Um, so when I told them that this was my going to be my path, my expectation, I didn't think that they were going to be like, get out. Mm-hmm. But I did expect them to go like, that's fine. You're on the hook. Like this is you've chosen to do this. So now you, you can pay those loans. Like that's on you. Um, and they didn't, they, you know, they were more than fair and really they were coming from a place of concern, which was, you've never done this before. There's no reason why you should expect you can do this. So what's your plan? Um, and they expressed that concern frequently. Um, but they were because you had a solid plan. Yeah, that you were, you were very good at communicating. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, like we at one point I was sitting down with my dad and we were like having coffee or whatever, and and he goes, "Let me ask you a question." He goes, "What makes you so special?" And in the moment, I was like, "Wow, how could you ask me that? Like, I'm your son. I'm great, you know." Because <laughs> mom's been telling me my whole life I'm special. <laughs> That's why he asked. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Who do you think you are?" No, so. 
But then like it took me years to understand what he was asking, which is like, what's your unique value proposition? Which is something mm -hmm. we talk about with customers in the incubator all the time. Why are people going to come to you when there's, you know, I don't know, however many motorcycle builders around the world, why are they going to come to you? And it took me a couple of years. It took me that apprenticeship to figure that out, to realize it's not just like my style and the way I design and build things. It has to be more than that. You have to know what your differentiators are that drive your business. Um, and so then when I had the idea for this frame and I was like, man, I, I did a bunch of research. I thought I could patent it. I eventually got the first patent and then the second patent and now we're onto the third patent. Um, they've kind of, it took a while. I always say to Bob, like, no one in public is going to say anything to me that can cut me down like the way my family has. And I mean that in a positive way. Like if you can, if, if I could prove it out to my family, if I could pitch it to them, they're going to fire the hard questions at me. And then when I go out into wherever, I'm like, yeah, I've dealt with this already. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's kind of, it took that process for them to see. And the other part was the technical end. Like my dad is not a, a blue collar mechanical guy. Like he could do stuff around the house, but if his car breaks, he takes it to the mechanic. If sure. there's something major in the house, he calls someone, you know? So for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to teach myself to weld. I'm going to teach myself how to do, how to be a machinist, you know? taught myself CAD, taught myself design work, all that kind of stuff. Um, it was kind of like each time I proved those things, they would see like, oh, he's serious about this. Like, oh, and then recently the first prototype that I built of my suspension system was included in a book from uh, New York State on the history of motorcycling in New York State. So they asked if they could put the bike in their lobby and so I was like, yeah, absolutely. So cool. Yeah, we just yeah. pulled we just pulled it out of there uh, actually last Monday, but it was in there for like five months in their lobby on display under like this monster piece of art above it. Um, Did they tax you on it when you <laughs> tried to take it away? It's <laughs> a great Not yet. question. Not yet. <laughs> Why would you ask that, Mike? <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did not donate it to them. I just made it to them. Um, but they, um, but like as each of those things happened, my parents realized more. And it was cool too, like because it always went from I had these kind of harebrained ideas and all this stuff to it went to they would call me and be like, hey, we have this problem. Do you think you can make something? Hey, we want to do this thing. Do you think you can do this or that? Um, and so it just kind of evolved over time. But I think you do have to prove that you're serious about whatever it is you want to do to be taken seriously by, by those around, especially if it's out there, you know, if it's, if it's kind of on the, on the outlier of, well, especially, used to. I mean, to your point with your family, right? Cause your family sees all those, uh, things that you go through, like the phases, like, Oh, I was in, I was into hip hop and then I was in the death metal and then I was into this and that, you know, they see all those things. So they're just yeah. like, Oh, this is just a phase. Like yeah. he's gonna, so, you know, yeah. I, I, I really feel what you said when you're like, oh, I had to prove it to them that I'm yeah. serious about this. Like, you know, I know my family was like, they saw me do 17 million things and change what I wanted to do every other day for till last week anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So is. how did you guys come together? Uh, Craigslist. Was, he put an ad out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do they still? You're not the only that? one with bad jokes, Mike. That's <laughs> what I got to deal with. You say my jokes are bad, man. <laughs> Objectively, objectively, yes. Um, so not Craigslist then. No, no. T came through one of the accelerators I was running, and we actually pivoted him to bicycles. Yeah. Oh, really? Away from cool. motorcycles. Yeah. Not not to take away, but to yeah. add. Yeah. So, which was huge. Smart. Yeah, was, yeah. Most of the things I do is smart. That's all. He got one. Smart. He got the one thing. That's the look that you have. It's not that I, we've seen it. Just he's got that smart look. To him. Yeah. yeah. And, and to give T credit, you know, he pushed back like everybody should, mm -hmm. but he was coachable and he understood where it was coming from and why, because it has to be based in common sense and practicality in mm -hmm. business, right? So, yeah. And we've gotten more traction more quickly in the bicycle world than we did in the motorcycle world. Like wow. the developing the motorcycle was a very expensive. And be very complicated because yep. it's so much speed and such a high load case and all these things. Um, and so we went through the accelerator. We did a bunch of interviews and everyone in the interview, I think we did 12 or 13 taped interviews with potential motorcycle customers. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the interview said they brought up, they organically brought up their bicycle. And so we watched it. Bob saw it. 
and he was like, uh, why, why aren't you doing bicycles? And I was like, oh, because motorcycles are harder. And he was like, I want you to think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's a bigger market. And he was like, mm, is it? And he goes, why don't you, he knew I was a numbers guy. So he said, why right. don't you look at the, and he, he had already done his research. So Everyone's like he, got a bicycle. Yeah. Everyone, right? He, he already knew. Yeah. But he was like, you do your own research, look at the numbers. And we did. And like, even though it's one industry and the dollars are higher on motorcycles, the units, half a million motorcycles sold a year, mm -hmm. 17 million bikes in the right. US alone. And he was like, you want to be in licensing, right? He was like, so do you want to license to the 17 million market or the half a million? You know, well, so. and also fun fact, in New York State, you can rent out bicycles. You cannot rent out motorcycles. Ooh, I didn't even know that. Insurance. So, so like if you own uh, a motorcycle and you want to rent it like they were doing like with uh, cars and everything else that were you gonna, or like an Airbnb, but for motorcycles, because I looked into this, I was buying a bunch of motorcycles because I was going to do this. Yeah. And I should have checked the insurance requirements before I started purchasing motorcycles because I found myself with a bunch of bikes and couldn't do what I want to do with them because the insurance companies in New York State will not insure you wow. if you're going to lease a motor, if someone's going to rent your motorcycle for the day like you would a bicycle. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that because there's other states that'll let you do it. Every state <laughs> except New York, except for New York, and <laughs> guess the other one, California. 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 <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. So anyway, no one takes no, off track. That's interesting. But yeah. What happened to all those motorcycles now? I sold them actually. Yeah. They're all like classic Hondas and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it was, yeah, it's nice. That's cool. But they're in a, they're in a museum. <laughs> yeah, my garage. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> It's a new not-for-profit. For That's mine. right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely a not-for-profit for sure. Yeah. So you guys pivoted in the bicycles. That's amazing. Yeah. But that it was that kind of relationship that spawned what we're doing now. Because I had, I had been through, I won't name them, but I'd been through some other programs in the area. And nothing really like, everyone was well-intentioned, mm -hmm. I like to think. Um, but nothing really spurred any change for me. And... It was, you know, from working with Bob and doing these things, we actually started to get traction and, and hit the road and, and do all this kind of stuff. Um, and so we would stay in touch and talk about kind of these frustrations. And then we started working on a few projects together and products together. And, um, and we just, we both saw it from different ends. I would see it from the, because another kind of revenue stream in our business is that um, we do prototyping for other small businesses. So you were talking about like what is a fabricator. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people will have a really, I think they have a really clear idea of their market um, and they think they know what they want made. And then they will go and spend a bunch of money to have 100,000 units made. And then they will have 100,000 units that they don't know what to do with. Right. And, and so we kind of found a, re a nice revenue stream of doing prototyping for people and working them through the design process of trying to do this kind of design process of product market fit and then align that to the features and then hand them off to a large job shop when they're ready for that. Because large job shops, they don't want to make one of anything. It's not right. cost efficient yeah. for them. They want to make hundreds or thousands. The way the equipment we buy, the way my shop is set up, we're efficient to make one. We can make one of something. There's no problem. Um, and so we found a nice little niche for ourselves. And then Bob was also working with similar startups who were in the product space. And they were looking for a commercialization plan. And he would see a similar thing happen where people would sink money in, put a lot of resources in, and never investigated product market fit. Do people want this? Did I design the right features into my product to give people the right benefit? Mm -hmm. So we would get together and just kind of share stories about this. And then eventually we were just like, yeah, we should just, we should just combine forces and do this to try to get out there and help get people the right resources at the right time and help them actually get to market. Well, and it's interesting too, because we actually were just talking recently about doing uh, like a more of an investigative piece on incubators and accelerators, because I just feel like there's so many of them. I hear about them. They come and go. And I'm just always like, are they effective? Like, do they, do they, are they actually helping people? Are they actually getting businesses off the ground? So it's like really well, excited to hear about your thoughts yeah. on that. It, it like, well, I think, you know, I'll go back to the well-intentioned, right? A lot of them are founded or formed under academic or government money. So 
And people don't understand that when it's free, it's not really free because you have metrics to live up to. Mm -hmm. that, that academic or that government has certain metrics to hit with their money. So they're not always focused on you getting your product to market but putting you through the program because they need numbers. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to break. This is all privately funded between our companies. Like there's no other money. If Wait. we don't make money, First Strike Incubator is completely funded by us. If we don't make money with the products we're taking you through at some point, it won't last. Are you saying that the private sector is <laughs> going to be better at doing something than... I'm a hardcore capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been in that. I've been in both, right? I was yeah. at EIR for the state. I've been at numerous universities. Government and academics are a great place to start. Their problem, and I've said this in other media, so I'm not, this yeah. isn't new. They get the handoff wrong. They, I need them to build it. They need to get out of the way and let people that have actually done it run it. Mm -hmm. And that's my biggest problem with all these other programs is they have people in position of authority who have never started a company, have never taken the risk, yeah. but they're giving other people advice like they, they have been there. And that really just pisses me off. Excuse my language. No, I, yeah. well, we say far away yeah. on the show sometimes, <laughs> but I agree back. with you a thousand percent. I see, you know, quote unquote, uh, like business advisors that never owned a business. Yeah. And I'm like, 100%. unless you've been Working for free, sleeping in your car, worrying about how you're going to pay that light bill. Like, how can you tell me what to do in these situations? They're, like, le they're leasing Lamborghinis on uh, Yeah. <laughs> and then throwing them on eyes. Instagram. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. what the fuck? It's you crazy. You follow me on Instagram? Yes. That's what I do. <laughs> but that, that is the mission that we have. It isn't that we're not going to fail. Because if you come, and I've met people who said, I never failed in business. Then you've never run a business. Right. Because there's no way you can never fail. Yeah. No. And I fail every day, by the yeah. way. I fail constantly. I mean, you, you do, by the part way. Of the, and I never shut up about it. <laughs> but, but that is, I mean, that was the thing that kicked this off for us was that we would get together and have a beer and be like, I can't believe this, that, or the other thing. And I had been through, like I said, a few programs in the area. None of them moved the needle for me. Yeah. And yet they hit me up constantly for, can you respond to this survey? Can you do this? Can you do that? And it was like, finally, the light bulb went off that was like, yeah, this is how they get their funding. Mm -hmm. It's a numbers game. They The fact that, I didn't actually make progress is irrelevant to them. And then you go through at one point, we were starting to put together a fundraising round because I thought that's what we needed. Turns out it's not. Best way to raise money is to have revenue. Um, but so, um, you know, we had been talking, some of the advisors that I had been working with um, were giving me advice on pitch decks and putting this together and that together. And then finally, I was like, have you ever raised money? And they were like, not successfully. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> now, what here's how we doing? think we should do yeah. it. That's a binary question, <laughs> by the way. That's a yes or a no. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we doing? You're, you're, you know, even there are some place in the area that I, I did a pitch at like a, a thing um, for in a room that was supposed to be filled with angel investors. Mm -hmm. And angel investors is a very specific term for they invest in pre-revenue companies. Zero revenue. You are in development. It is seed funding. We know now from my conversation with Bob, there was not one angel investor in that room. There are a lot of people in this upstate New York ecosystem that call themselves angel investors. I've met with many of them. They will not even think about investing until you have revenue. That's not angel investing. So I was pitching to a room full of people that were poorly matched to who I was if there was any accredited investor in that room at all. They use my pitch deck as a template for people running through that program. Wow. Now, it was a good pitch deck, but <laughs> I didn't, I raised zero dollars with it. So, why are you yeah. using a deck that raised no money? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also, the deck was too long for sure. Yes, it was. <laughs> like your answer to the first question. <laughs> Everybody's got jokes. <laughs> I think I grew a beard during oh, that. Oh, man. So, yeah, quick question. Yeah. T, how long have you been growing the beard for? Like two years, I want to say. So I'm not shaving until I make money off my patents. Nice. That's, so I grew my beard out nice. once before, and it was before I got my first patent. And I said, I'm not shaving until I get my patent. I think I'm going to not shave until he makes money Wait, out of his patents. I love this. For That's me. only two years? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I've always had a beard, but it was short. But this is probably like two years. I just had an oops the other day. And that's why my beard is as short as it is right now. I'm really upset about it. I was going to say, I thought, because I thought when we saw you at that thing in Saratoga, I thought your beard was, because you were there, right? Oh, which one? Which thing? Um, 
Oh, the so, CTE thing? Yeah. Yeah, so I met T. We actually went to school together. Oh, okay. A long time ago. We're next to each other at the um, the BOCES, the TEC event. Oh, no shit. Yeah, you had the bike frame on yes. the thing. That's yeah. right. Holy moly. I was yeah. just thinking yeah. about that when you light, started talking about <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's all coming together now. I'm a, so, I'm a so little slow. Talking, I'm, I'm like, man, you look familiar. And yeah. uh, sure enough, it, it was T. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. We went to high school together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I literally just, uh, the other day I was like, oh, I was going to an event and I was like, I'm just going to trim this little thing here. And I, I don't know what the hell I did. And I was like, oh, so then I tried to fix it yeah, had another yeah. oops. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, I'm, and I had to go to my barber. I'm like, can you fix this yeah. stupid face? I've been there. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And now I look like I, you know, I got a baby beard now. Mm-hmm. So that was just two years. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, One day I'll hit puberty. Yeah. You'll get that. I'll get that sooner or later. My voice just cracked. Um, <laughs> So, so the accelerator, tell us about that. Incubator. Incubator. So we'll take idea and we'll take, it has to be a hard good. So it has to be a physical product. Okay. You can have an idea or your MVP or prototype or bring it to us. And we run you through kind of curriculum and workshops to get user experience. Because the one thing that T left out of that very robust description was a lot of people might have the target market Mm -hmm. right, but they don't get how the user uses the product right. So we do a lot of that work. We always have, you know, my biggest failure as a company was a product I patented and designed and completely effed up on the customer experience. The user experience itself. Absolutely. So like I, in the tech world, we're going to call that the user interface. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, it's the same thing, right? Because yeah. no human really looks at directions. Interesting. So That's if true. they're going to pick up a product... We got to design it so they kind of get close to how to really use it to optimize. Interesting. Yeah. And too many people wait until later in the game. Or they do the opposite where they're constantly tinkering. Oh, we're going to do this. But they're tinkering to their vision. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, it's a good starting point for the way you would do it, the way you want to do it. But the moment you have, I mean, I would even say proof of concept product. You should be getting that in front of a user because they might pick out things that were not even on your brain. That's what we did with our software that we're designing that we're getting ready to launch as a service is the same thing as we we went out and got some beta testers, the people that weren't even in our industry, but would be the kind of people that we would go after. And they did. They gave us a lot of great feedback. Yeah. And made it, we made it less clunky because of them. Yeah. And, and too many people will just wait to, if they do it at all. They yeah, wait I, too I, long. I have literally no skills except I'm a really good listener. That's not true. That's a good skill. That is Well, that's what you need because none of us are experts to the market. The market yeah. wins all the time, right? Yeah. If you know how to listen to the market, you can win hmm. more than lose. So that's the goal. And if you're a, a startup or a small business or a solopreneur, whatever you want to call it, you know, we don't have the resources that Nike has. Nike can, and even Nike has an end to what they'll put into R&D. Mm-hmm. They'll invest in products and go, oh, that was a, that one's a loser. We're not doing it. If you're a startup, you're a small business, and you're going into a product, you either need to learn very quickly that the product is not worth going into or how to launch it and get to market. You, you don't, I mean, it's just a fact. You don't have the Nike resources yeah. to do 19 redesigns and decide whether or not it's worthwhile and how to get to You got to kind of get, we always call it your alpha product or your beachhead product, which is it may not be where you ultimately wind up, but what's going to get you to revenue the fastest so that you can start building out that beachhead. That's the easiest way to raise money is after you sell something. Yeah. Right. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. If you got numbers and you can show, oh, we've got 5 million people spending a dollar on this every month or whatever it is. So how many, how many products have you guys put through the uh, incubator? We're on the second cohort is going to have four products in it, but our first cohort, we started really small. We had two and we are commercializing two products, which we don't expect all the time. Yeah. It kind of shocked us. To have two come in and two... Going yeah, forward, hit a, yeah. Hit a thousand, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Because we always do everything as a test first to make sure that what we're saying gets communicated in the right way to people that haven't don't have this experience. So so And these are these are all I mean, I don't know how you probably can't talk about what the products are, but I mean like these are physical products, like 
are they different sectors? Are they a specific sector? So it's like kind of all over the board. It's agnostic. But it's yeah. just whatever product. Interesting. Can be physically made though. We're, we're not touching software. Yeah, in, yeah. In this incubator, yeah. we've done a lot of that in the past. And do you do you stay with hard products just because of scalability? Like once you have a prototype and designs, you can now find a manufacturer that's going to be able, like. Is that why you stay with hard products or? Well, we're really using his skill set as a fabricator, right? Okay. Because it is unique skill set. We, mm-hmm. We've worked with a lot of fabricators over the years. His his combination of design and the actual build kind of gets us a better conversation around the product. But also, we're not always looking to go to the manufacturer, right? We can tech transfer it out. We can license it out. Some of our clients want to go to market as a new company. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's where that third piece of our incubator model is that we'll put some money up for ownership with the product creator and bring it to market in whatever any of those buckets. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's awesome. a, we're trying to have like a clear pathway of, like Bob was saying, like if, you know, if you're state funded or wherever you get your money from, if the output doesn't matter and you have, you have no skin in the game and we have no skin in the game and we push you both through the incubator and then whatever happens, happens, doesn't matter. Yeah. But you know, we we very we will be very honest about the fact that like the incubator to accelerator to funding kind of funnel for us is our draw to try to find products that we want to work with and ultimately have shared risk risk in and then shared reward. Mm-hmm. Another big differentiator is that our incubator and accelerator are paid programs, so we we will charge for those services, and there's a very real reason for it, and it's not. To line our pockets because we're not it, we're not charging that much. It is so Yet. that you yeah. <laughs> it is so that you have skin in the game. Sure. You now owe something to us, and we now owe something to you. So we've worked with small companies that go through and they do this incubator, that incubator, that one, and they're all free. And maybe they'll go two hours to this one. This we're we are gonna meet. It's gonna be short. It's gonna be fast and short. It's gonna be six weeks. We're gonna get you, and we're gonna get you out, and then you can make a go no go decision after that. But you are going to have deliverables that you have to act on. If you decide you can't or you won't or you don't want to, it's different when you've paid into that program mm-hmm. because sure. now you're like, I expect some sort of metric from this. Yeah. And same for us. If you are now our customer, we are beholden to you to deliver on our end. You know, so it keeps it. It is the definition of a shared risk model where it keeps mm-hmm. everybody at the table and honest. Uh, it's also accountable. Yeah. Um, people play. Uh, we live in a time of play entrepreneur. Right. Yeah, no, I right. 100%. Everybody's an entrepreneur if they have an idea. Yeah, well, the only or an and then they rent the they rent or the a Facebook Bugatti. account. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Right, <laughs> social media makes you a genius everywhere. Oh my god! Until you have to string two sentences together in person, right? Right. So we're also combating that because that kind of makes the universe a little fuzzy because you get a lot of information saying it's really easy. You know, I started my first company many years ago. I was 13, like a really long time ago. There was no internet. It's a lot easier to start a company now, at least the optics of starting a company, than really putting one together. Yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to cut through because there's a lot of great people out there that get lost in that shuffle of nonsense. Like it is, okay. it is nonsense, but it's also, you need somebody to tell you this will never work. And we always talk about the three mm-hmm. legs of a, a company, right? There's feasibility and marketability, which are fairly easy to convince yourself it's always going to work. Viability is the one where it always fails. Yeah. So why are you going to go down this road five years and figure out your price point will never match the market? So you're never going to make a living. Yeah. Like that's the things we're always, and people don't like that. People want to be patted on the back. And we don't want those people. But in the end, you're actually saving them a lot of time and, and money or That's giving a them a new ball. idea to do it the right way. Absolutely. It's and funny. I actually had a buddy call me a couple of days ago and he hung up on me because he didn't like what I was saying to him. And he was asking me, he's like, he's like, I've got this opportunity in business, blah, blah, blah. And I was like... Sounds unethical. Sounds shady as hell. And I was like, and it's a hard pass if that's if that's coming at me, you know. And he was just like, oh well. And then he started, and I started giving him a little bit more, and he, he hung up on me. I was like, oh, yeah. sorry, man. Isn't it isn't it wild how that happens? How you go like, no one's asked you these questions, no one's given you this feedback yet, right? But that's one of the things we look for, especially as we walk through like incubator to accelerator to the actual shared risk part of it. Um, is coachability mm-hmm. is like the biggest thing. You you can have a mediocre product. I mean, preferably not. But even if you have a great product, there was someone that we were potentially going to work with 
Bob wanted nothing. That was you. Bob wanted to nothing to do with it. <laughs> Not us. I wanted to work with him because I liked his product. His product idea. He didn't have a product. I liked his product idea, and I wanted to make it. I thought it was cool. And so I, 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 I mean, when I tell you I spent probably nothing short of 60 hours in person with him, going through every little thing, blah, blah, blah. He had zero coachability. To the point where he would be like, it's going to do these nine things. And I was like, it's not going to do any of those because that's not how physics works. Like, it's just not, <laughs> it's not going to do those things. Like, we could make it do certain things, but, you know, we got to go over user interface mm-hmm. and how people are going to use it and how you're going to sell it and packaging and all that. And he just had no coachability. And then, like, finally it got to the point where I realized it. And I was like, oh, we can't work together. Did you realize it? Because last week you brought it up again. <laughs> I really want to make Maybe we can revisit it. I really want to make the product. It's interesting. I mean, I don't think it's like a home run product or anything, but it was just cool. Um, but it was something Bob saw right away. And he was like, and, and it's great because he's like, I'll back you on this. He was like, but I'm just telling you what I see. And, and, and I saw it, but I just didn't want, I just, you know, but ultimately it was something that we, that coachability is a major factor in deciding whether or not we can work together in any capacity because of what you just said. If you're going to hang up the phone on me, when I ask you some kind of obvious questions right. and you're going to be offended, that, that's it's not going to be a good working relationship. Yeah. yeah that's also why we want fees because it creates accountability, mm-hmm. right? Like even us being held accountable, right? If, if you're giving me a dollar... If, you, if I'm doing it for free for you, you'll just be nice to It's me. a favor, right? It's a favor, but also you'll be nice. You won't give me any feedback. Like, that sucks, Bob. What you just said to me <laughs> makes no friggin' sense. Yeah. The moment you give me a dollar, you're holding me accountable. So we want both parties to be accountable to each other, and that allows for real communication. Yeah. Like, honest communication. Yeah. I don't want BS. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, when you said that, it made me think of, like, college, you know? Like, when I was going to college, also a long time ago... Um, at first, I had like tap and pell that were paying my tuition, right? Well, then I failed a couple classes and they didn't give me that money anymore. And so I had to pay for my own classes at that point. And at that point, it's like, well, shit, I better do the work. I'm actually paying for this now at that point. So the accountability to your point, right? Like mm-hmm. calculus, I took it three damn times, man. But the third time I paid for it. Yeah. And you, you know, passed. And I, I don't know. If Maybe I not. <laughs> I mean, I did better. Don't you use calculus every day? Oh, in your normal I was going to say, why, why were you taking calculus? <laughs> Take this integral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Define a limit. <laughs> the limit does not exist. Terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Calculus. Yeah. So, anyway. So you guys mainly work with uh, capital region companies, or are you able to work with folks all over the place? Yeah, we have uh, three models. One is in person, which we like best, but it doesn't work. So the first two products, one is based out of Europe and Florida. Cool. So they were not in the vicinity at all. Yeah. Oh, wow. And our next cohort, I think three of the four are not local. Mm-hmm. So tell me cohort. What, what, is, uh, what is cohort? What do you mean? It's just the group in the incubator. Like whoever is in the incubator together at that moment. So okay. that's the- kind of another difference is that a lot of these incubators, accelerators, they'll go like we run our cohort four starts January 2nd and runs until. Do they all call them cohort? I've just never used, heard that term used. I think most of them do. Oh, no kidding. It's just a peer group, right? Yeah. Because they're going to learn as much from us. Oh, they're going to learn as much from the group, the interaction than they're going to learn from us. I mean, for the listening audience, I know what cohorts are. Right. We were but, not. We were but not. From that standpoint, I was like, no, 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 no not you guys, the listeners. Calculus. The listeners, nobody's joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll attack your calculus knowledge. <laughs> but like a lot of these other programs, they'll they'll put a cohort together and then they say apply by this time, and then the cohort starts to move up. Well, what our model is, or what we're trying to implement, is a rolling application, and then we try to kind of structure the cohort with other people that we think are. That are going to play well together, mm-hmm. whether it's a similar, whether it's a complementary industry, right? So you own a peanut butter company, you own a jelly company, you're yeah, both trying to launch, you know, let's see if we can put you in the same cohorts because gotcha. you'll get more out of that. Yep. Um, We're now in food. Yeah. Nice. Anybody has a peanut butter <laughs> jelly company? Let me know. <laughs> I don't, but I have a farm and a bunch of animals. Can we get into uh, selling some? Are you doing meat shares? What's the, oh, we could do meat chairs. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested in meat chairs. Lambs, pigs. Here we go. <laughs> They're going to open a petting zoo. <laughs> He's there's got no, one. There's no, there's no money in that. <laughs> got the alpacas. You know. oh, the alpacas, the pigs. What is I, the difference between an alpaca and a llama? 
Well, the size for one, llamas yeah. are bigger. Are they? And More they aggressive. Heads, don't they? they have two heads. Yeah, one comes out of the back, one out of the front. <laughs> Doctor um, Doolittle, right? <laughs> um, yeah, my, I don't know a lot about llamas, but I do know that the llamas are are bigger. They're more aggressive. Uh, they spit a lot more. They're just they're like jerks, basically. They're yeah. like emus. Emus are emus nasty. are nasty too. Yeah, I got yeah. attacked by one once. I, there's a a TikTok account that. Kristen, my fiance, follows. I think it's called the Useless Farm, and <laughs> and this lady has a has an emu actually emu emu. I don't know why it sounds emu. emu. It is the Plattsburgh emu. Uh, it is the it's those long names, uh, basically. A and uh, <laughs> but she's got an emu named Karen, and it like it's hilarious. The thing's just mean. It like attacks her all the time. Like it's amazing. Yeah, check yeah. it out. The Useless yeah. Farm. Yeah. On TikTok. So, Bob, I got to ask, what was your business that you started at 13? A property For all manage- the kids listening here. A property management and landscape company. Nice. How did no you grass that? cutting. How did you pull it off at 13? So, unlike Mike, my, my voice <laughs> dropped when I was like eight. So, no one thought I was 13. They thought I was older and in high school. So, I got my baseball and football team together. And I was like, I never want to work for anybody. So I'm going to go out and get some contracts and then you're going to work with me. And they're like, nice. yeah, whatever, yeah, go do it. And it lasted eight years. It got me into med school. All I get so. That's, That's pretty sweet. Yeah. It was a good run. I should have stayed with it, but, <laughs> and unlike T, my family has never accepted the fact that I have a job. And that is true. They do, what do not you mean? support it. They've never supported this lifestyle. That you have a job? Yeah. They don't think I have a job. Oh, you mean like yeah. your parents. Like and my cousins and uncles yeah. and aunts. So it's always but great. not like your kids. So they so they ask you this question like this. What exactly do you do? Yes. Right? Especially at Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is it you do? I've had You got one more you, to get through and oh, you'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. that keeps me strong. Yeah. And humble. So like I don't know what I do. So what do you guys and I know that, you know, we're we're I don't want to keep you too long, but just so many questions I can ask you guys. You know, like obviously both of you have a vast amount of experience in being entrepreneurs, the lifestyle, business owners, some blue collar, some not, right? So what do you, what do you think like the biggest challenge is that you've had to overcome in your careers? I think it's what's next, right? You almost have to be futuristic. We don't have economy of scale to weather any storm. And a lot of our friends went under during COVID. And mm-hmm. COVID is not an excuse for everything. But people aren't aware of what could happen. I think that's always something that keeps us all up at night, all of us in yeah. this room and elsewhere. I, I think the bigger one is people are told by people that don't actually pay their staff and have to make money to go all in all the time. And our counsel is always don't like keep a job because the moment you stop working and you need this company to make you money, all you think about is money. Yeah. It's not your highest level of work then, right? Because you're in the back of your head. It's like, I need money. You can start to make bad decisions real quick. And you make really bad decisions. Yeah. So we always say, do it as a side hustle to begin with. What's wrong with that? This all in thing doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'd, I'd say for me, one of the big ones is, you know, we talk about failure a lot and we even say like, if you... If you're looking at incubators, accelerators, or business counsel, or consultants, or whatever, in whatever stage you're at, you know, ask them questions to find out if you're a good fit. And one of the big ones for me is, what are some failures that you've had? What's been your biggest failure? Because if someone says, well, I've never really failed, I, you got nothing for me. We, yeah. that's We're not the same. And so one of the big things for me is getting back up from those failures. And we talk all the time about people that are like, you just need grit. And, and like, it's it's not to me. It's not just grit. It's not just grit it out. Because sometimes you do have to know when to shut it down or when to mm-hmm. walk away or whatever it is. But it's also going, you know, what's the larger indication from this failure and how do I move forward with that information, right? So in design product testing, you look for failure, right? Mm-hmm. You look for fatigue, stress, and cracks and all these things. If you, you know, I would use the example of like, Formula One cars, they got all the resources in the world. You name it, they got it. Those cars have to last one race, they break. So 
you, you can have all the resources and do the best job. If things are going to fail. Mm -hmm. So how do you move forward and get back up from those failures as a small business, as a startup, something like that? That's been a big one for me. And, and knowing the mission of what you're trying to do. And I love small business. I use small business experts. And I'm going to say because they're small business operators mm -hmm. in a lot of my classes because they know they understand cash flow better than anybody. If you own a pizzeria, you know every cost that's going through your shop all the time. They're phenomenal. I think the thing that they get sold a lot of is bigger is always better. And mm -hmm. I'm going to always disagree with that. Yeah. If you're at a place where you have a robust network and repeat customers, bigger isn't always better. And I think some of these fallacies we're going to try to break as much as we can because it's untenable to most people. Mm -hmm. Every company can't scale. Just saying. Yeah. And scale doesn't look the same for every company. Right. You know, I we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with a very well established and very smart PhD doctoral engineer and he's been a consultant his whole career and he's had a great career in it and he decided he wants to get into production and actually make things and I was like you're going the wrong direction and he was like no I really want to do this blah 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 so full support start firing questions at him and the things that he wasn't thinking about was how are you going to distribute your product how are you going to package your product I always say to people, like, we'll go through the design exercise and they want to do this, this, and this. I'm going to design this thing. It's 84 inches tall. How are you shipping it? Because now it's freight. You're not shipping it, you know, six foot max is what mm -hmm. you usually get. 84 inches, you're not shipping that. That's got to be shipped freight now. So now you're shipping it on pallets. You know what I mean? Like all these things stack up. Which most people wouldn't even know that, right? Like I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, like it's, but, and so that's one of the things we try to do is ask those questions quickly and early on because that will affect the design of your product. So like that person that I just talked about, that's a real person. His product is now modular and can be shipped in pieces and assembled on site. So like we move them quickly into what is the right solution for your product to get yeah, your cool. revenue. Um, but a lot of when it's possible, when possible, yeah, of course there are some limitations, but, but that version of like, what is scale to you? Like, that's the reason that, you know, if you come to my shop, which I hope you do, you're welcome anytime. The equipment that I bring buy, bourbon, yeah, please Just like bourbon. All right. Um, the equipment that I buy is designed for doing prototype runs of things. If we had a $300,000 five axis CNC mill. That needs to be running three shifts a day, seven days a week to make money on that. So like technically my machine is running right now while I'm here, but that's not always the case. But if you have that equipment, it needs to run. That is, you have to be there. You have to be mm -hmm. at scale. Someone that we were working with was like, how big of equipment do you have to get to cut these things? Because I cut his pieces in multiple parts. He said, how much to do it in one thing? And I said, probably about 200 grand to get a, a, something that big. And he was like, there's no way. I sent him the link to the piece of equipment. I'm like, this is what you need if you want to. Right, I was right. like, we do it this way and it takes an extra step, but it doesn't really take that much longer, but it gets it done kind of thing. So letting people grasp that of like, what is your value add? What do you bring to the table and how do you commercialize that? Because for me, scale is not huge manufacturing. It's being a design prototyping powerhouse to where we can license and sell and go to market that way. Mm -hmm. I don't need, you know, a 500,000 square foot manufacturing shop to do that. I can be lean and mean and move from project to project, week to week to do that. Um, if I wanted to take my bicycle frames and go, all right, we want to go to market and compete with Trek. Do you have $200 million burning right. a hole in your pocket to do that? Because Trek's not making their frames here. They're made by a company called Kinetic Bicycles, and they're made overseas. 99% of bicycle parts are made in Taiwan or China. So what is my unique value? It is the design, engineering, fabrication, prototyping of my system. How do I make that, get it in front of a large manufacturer, license and sell to them, I move on to the next thing. That's my version of scale. For if you wanted to start a, you know, whatever, a widget company, your version of scale might be, how do I make 100000 a month and go to market? It's possible. But figuring out what is your unique value mm -hmm. and what can you do with your resources to get to your commercialization path. Licensing. Hmm. Yeah. Now, do you have any help to, to run a shop or do you have any employees? I don't right now. No. I'll be honest. I've been trying to find someone for about six months. It's tough, as I'm sure you know. Um, especially because a lot of the... <clears throat> Stuff we do has very high attention to detail. So mm -hmm. we do a good amount of architectural 
um, metal fabrication. So not like railings and stuff like that, but like things that are super high-end one-off pieces. So like we're machining these brass bar latches right now. Um, made this like crazy brass sink for a corner out of all sheet brass braised together and all this stuff. Crazy shower door, bars, vanities, stuff like that. Hmm. Um, which is a cool market to be in and kind of what Bob was saying about like that you don't necessarily want to quit your day job. The majority of my stress comes from doing that stuff. That stuff pays for me to do the bicycle fabrication prototyping, but the bicycle stuff doesn't stress me out. The motorcycle stuff doesn't stress me out. The the home designer that's buying a very expensive sink and wants it yesterday stresses me and out. And wants it perfect. And and when you say perfect, right, like, I mean like yeah. So we literally made this this monster, super cool nickel plated shower door. Design firm is in LA. They sent me, you know, a million different um, design specs and all shit. Uh, we designed it in CAD, sent it to them, approved by nine people, all this stuff. Came back, plating was a little off, rejected. Remaking. Now, I will say, what I proposed to them was a different design that would not have had these issues. They did a little bit of value engineering. I compromised, shouldn't have, and it bit me. Um, but when you say perfect, yeah. it is... It is perfect, or pardon my language, it's shit. And that's what they expect. And so to find... Yeah, there's no close no, or close enough, no. right? Like, and there's yeah. no... And like a lot of this stuff is bare metal. So like this brass sink, I mean, I've spent days plenishing out little hammer marks mm -hmm. because it's there's no body filler, there's no paint. Like if I build you a hot rod or a motorcycle gas tank, I can be a little bit off because it's going to get bondoed, mm -hmm. skin coated, sanded, primed, painted. You'll never see it. Natural brass sink that's polished... You're going to see everything. So like it literally has to be a perfect panel. And it's tough to find even skilled craftsmen and women with that attention to detail. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's been my challenge in, in hiring. But hopefully, if you're out there listening. Mike's going to join. Come on I'm going to come work for you. Yeah, for free. Uh, so I can learn how to weld. I so that. I can basically, I need to learn how to weld so that I can uh, build a hay wagon for the farm oh so, man come uh, down i got you i need to yeah. and plus i just want to know how to weld yeah. it's freaking cool it man. Is right? yeah. your it's goal's a, a hay a, wagon you know it's it's it'd be something cooler than that i need a hay wagon for the farm you'll start with the hay wagon then it'll be like oh now that i can do it well no i know i'll, I'll have like our front paddock will have all those metal freaking sculptures you know you drive people's houses like <laughs> yeah. just have all that shit out in the front yard we're doing one of those for a customer right now are you really doing, yeah. yeah kinetic sculpture yeah it cool. all moves with the wind and oh yeah well that's yeah that guy was slamming those air brakes. Uh, he knew T was talking. That's right. He <laughs> had to shut me down. <laughs> uh, so, guys, I don't want to keep you here any longer. I could keep you here for hours more. If people are interested in the incubator, getting involved in some capacity, like how do they find find out about it or learn more? I mean, you could, if you Google First Strike Incubator, um, right now the page is housed on, on my website, fabroindustries.com, um, while we kind of get everything up and running. But... If you go to fabroindustries.com, click on First Strike Incubator, it'll take you there. You can find us on LinkedIn, um, Instagram. Um, you are Insta-famous. I knew it. I'm not on Instagram. <laughs> he is. I then the Incubator has got it. <laughs> I do the Instagram. Um, but yeah, you can you can find us on pretty much all your social media. Um, and if you have any questions or product ideas or whatever, yeah. just, just hit us up and we'll see what we can do. Or need a custom motorcycle? Need a custom the motorcycle. idea of being able to build my own motorcycle sounds so amazing to me. Like to be able to ride around on a bike that you built, like that just must be the coolest thing ever. I gotta be honest, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's right. Good. Like, yeah, like it's it. I, so I was fortunate. This is the last long long winded story. <laughs> there is a mute button, isn't it? I feel bad because Bob's becoming like it's probably the same thing my wife goes through. Where like I start talking and he's like, I know what story this is. Like I've heard this. I know where this is going. Um, but I've been fortunate that I've done some like cool driving experiences before, mm -hmm. and I've driven some pretty pretty cool supercars and couple ferraris and lamborghinis and porsches and stuff and it's it is a ton of fun like it instantly puts a smile on your face or on yeah. my face there is nothing like riding a chopper like it is just a a, a high unlike especially when you built it or you worked on it that's yeah, crazy like it's just the coolest thing to me most people are like yeah whatever but i think mike is. needs a motorcycle hay wagon we got you man oh that's an idea 
You'll be building a motorcycle in no time. We'll, we'll put a little something on there that I can, like, throw one of the pigs or one of the sheep in and then we'll drive around yeah, town with a trailer. It. we got to yeah. reach out to, like, Discovery or something and get them to do a, a TV show about <laughs> Fabro and you building your own bike. <laughs> Build my we'll own bike. So yeah. with a farm animal sidecar. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do a blue, blue collar That's a whole different up. fetish, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, uh, thanks so much for coming in. Really appreciate spending yeah. time with us. Um, great you. to meet thanks. you. A lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thanks check for them out. Us. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for following. Uh, real quick, I do want to give a big shout out to MLB Construction. They just uh, they just wrote us a big check so we could help uh, raise some money for some scholarships down at HVCC. And uh, so I just want to say thanks to James Dossey and Chloe and the whole crew over there that uh, helped put that together. So we'll, uh, I got sorry, sorry, I couldn't be there for the, the presentation. Yes, that's right. You had the uh, was, Ebola. Yeah, it was beat up. It happens. But thanks again, guys. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And you'll see us next week. We're uh, interviewing Boom Nation, which I'm really interested to hear about what those guys are doing over there. So uh, it's a national... It's actually workforce development. Maybe you can help them find someone for the shop. So oh, man, they're that. they're not a recruiter. Yeah. They're not an online forum, but they do. They have this whole uh, app online service that we're gonna. I know nothing about really. We're gonna learn more about it next cool. week in the interview. But uh, check it out. Thanks, everybody.